Good morning, church. Is it just me, or did you wake up this morning, the sun was shining a little brighter, the birds were chirping a little louder, the food tasted a little bit better, because LSU won and two teams from Alabama lost. That's all I'm saying. Okay, I thought it was just me. preaching, and they're talking about the uh, cultural issues and things that are going on in our day, and not being afraid to do that. Uh, This is a time when the church must be a great witness to not only the truth of the gospel, but also the love of Christ, and we can't shy away from that. So I appreciate our leadership here, what they do week in and week out uh, to challenge us. I wish I was here more uh, to be able to witness it myself, but the beauty is we're online now. And so wherever I'm at, typically I get a chance to look in on you guys. Today we're going to be talking about the witnesses to the powerful ability of the gospel of Christ and the Holy Spirit to change lives. And that's the ultimate encounter culture. Our text today is Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And it's a text we've used before on Mission Day because it is timeless in its ability to impact our culture. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, have you ever, how many of you ever been to court? I mean, as a witness, as a witness. <laughs> Some of you have been to court, you know, uh, more than that. But have uh, uh, you seen the, the, the typical deal? What it means to be called to be a witness? I've never had to do that. I've had to be a witness a handful of times, and uh, usually it was in a in a custody case where you're kind of uh, you know appearing to talk about the character of a person there, and uh, it was really it was really frightening to me to be in that setting. And I don't know if it's because you know watching too much TV or what. I mean, they tried to make you uh, feel comfortable, but as you're sitting there, you know you, they they you're on the record, and you know you you swear to tell the truth, and I would have anyway. But I mean now I've had to swear to it. And you realize that if I, if I didn't tell the truth, I could go to jail. And so something about that moment of being in that witness box was frightening to me at the first time I did it. And then you get the questions asked, and the first guy is you know, asking the softball questions because you're you know, kind of there for them. And then the other person comes up, and it's very adversarial. 
and they're tripping you up, and, oh, I thought you said this, and earlier didn't you say that, and you're just like, what, what a law and order here? You know, what are we doing? And yet, I realize how important it is to be a witness to tell the truth, and yet it's not always easy to do. And every one of us who've committed our lives to the gospel are witnesses. Uh, we're just like those men that were called in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8, to be witnesses. And those early disciples were witnesses of Jesus Christ. Uh, they, uh, these just fishermen, ordinary, unschooled men, Acts 3 says. Uh, so I feel like there's hopefully men you have unschooled, ordinary it's men preaching the gospel, uh, teaching. These were just men that were used by God to take the gospel to the whole world. And they would be effective and powerful, powerful witnesses for the gospel. The power was not in their pedigree. I mean, let's face it, if we had, you know, it was up to us and some planning committee that we put together, you know, we would kind of try to come up with all the right people that we fit, you know, with, with the, the best representatives of community and spiritual heritage and church leadership and the Jewish leadership of that day. And we would have put that together as a witness because we thought, you know, that needs to be the pedigree. But the power's not in the pedigree. It wasn't in all the things that humanity could come up with. It was simply the fact of people being near Jesus to see what he came here to do. It's that simple. And you didn't have to have anything special to be that person. In fact, you just had a willingness to follow. And so while they were walking around and following him, the first thing they saw was his teaching. They listened to it. They heard it. And they didn't always get it. In fact, a lot of times they didn't get it. But he kept teaching. And he kept teaching. And sometimes it was over their head. It was like me being in Bill Smith's class, you know. It was over my head a lot. But you know what? Eventually I was able to get up there and grab some of it. Because that's what teaching does. And that's what the teaching of Jesus did for his disciples. Uh, we'll stop and give a commercial to Bill's class, by the way. Uh, Wednesday night, Bill's teaching again uh, on, the, I think, Luke and Acts. And so if you want to be uh, under some of Bill's classes there, uh, be sure and be here on Wednesday night. And, Bill, thank you for your teaching. You know, the uh, disciples exposed themselves to Christ's teaching. But it wasn't just about information. It was about transformation. Because he discipled them. He mentored them. They watched him. Not only did they learn information, they watched how he treated people. They watched how he interacted with people. And they were witnesses to his miraculous power. Can you imagine what it was like to sit there and watch Jesus do those miracles, you know, uh, uh, the very first one, he turned what? Water into wine. Now, I know our background, we would have rather he turned wine into water, right? It, I understand that. But, uh, uh, but there's, there's that miracle. And then all of a sudden, the healing of the one with leprosy and the man who was born, uh, blind being healed and the cripple walking again. All those magnificent things, as he was saying, he is Christ, the Son of God, and was teaching and discipling, and those disciples were seeing his power in action. And you know, as important as those three years were of what they witnessed and what they saw, what they experienced, the thing he needed them to see most were the last three or four things that he did on this earth. They needed to see him suffer and die. And that was the hardest part for them to witness. In fact, they ran away when he was arrested because they thought, we just can't watch this. This is the end of everything we thought we were heading towards. 
When they had believed everything about Jewish dominance and independence from occupation, and they thought, this is what it's all about, and now they're going to kill him, they missed it. Because he needed witnesses to his suffering and death on a cross. That's why he came here. And without that sacrifice, there would be no hope for sin. They needed to see him put into a tomb and raised after three days. Because witnesses had to tell that the grave would not hold the Son of God. Mm -hmm. That's what they needed the witnesses for. So he went around for 40 days after he was raised. Hundreds of people, including the original disciples, saw him, grabbed him, had dinner with him, shared bread and fish because Jesus had been resurrected. And they had to be there when he left here without a rocket booster and literally went up, up, and away into the clouds to await the Holy Spirit. They had to be witnesses. Jesus said, you will be the ones who will let others know. And that was the most important thing that they saw. And, and as he was leaving, he told them that you're going to go in all the world. As you're going, you're going to make disciples of all nations, of every ethnic group. And you're going to teach them this good news, these things that I've taught you. You're going to turn around and teach them. You're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be with you always. And so then they're to go and they're to wait till they receive that power from the Holy Spirit from above. So not only were they witnesses of Jesus... Now they've become, these disciples are witnesses for Jesus Christ. Now they're going to tell others about how to have the relationship that they have, this one called the Christ. This is a huge transition for these guys, but it's also a huge transition for us. To go from it being about you and what you can see and know and understand to being what then you have to offer for someone else to see Christ. That's huge. And so these men realized that Jesus had put them in a unique position now because they would be his mouthpiece. They would be his hands. They would be his feet. The very first replacement of, one of Judas, one of the original 12, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 22, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. See, it was important that even one of those original 12, they saw it because God knew what they were going to be facing. So they had to know it, they had to believe it, they had to see it. Now they're witnesses for Jesus. Peter would say in Acts chapter 5, we are witnesses of these things. He, tell, he said in Acts chapter 10, we are witnesses of everything he did. Paul said in Acts chapter 13, we are now his witnesses to the people. Again and again and again. Mouthpieces for Christ. This is how he chose to reveal to the world that he had come to save it and to offer hope beyond the grave. And you know, one of the greatest uh, uh, proofs of the Christian faith is the fact that all these original witnesses, except for John, were killed for their faith, never renounced what they had seen or heard or testified about. That's right. They were serious about the gospel of Christ. There's a reason Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that this gospel is of first importance. It's first. That means other things, other things, they don't get first place. The gospel does. All truth is important, but not all truth weighs the same. There is the greatest command, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love everybody else, right? And then there's that first importance of the good news of the gospel, the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we have to keep those things where they belong. We have to stay on target. 
You know, one of the things I love about, uh, I always loved about working with Al, uh, we got the partnership in a lot of things, was that uh, uh, Al loves people, and he can talk to anybody. Uh, I always knew, like, if I wanted to go somewhere and it's going to be awkward, I, I'm, I'm not really confident or sure sometimes how to deal with things. If I could just take Paul Stevens or Al with me, they could talk all day long. I never have to say a word. I can just sit there and watch. Now, we did have to tell Al a couple of times that, uh, at the hospital, Al, you're standing on the oxygen line. Please, you please get off. You know, there was a couple of times there. but uh, They called me the angel of death. Every time I'd go and visit somebody, <laughs> they would die. But I was sending them on to be with the Lord, so it was okay. <laughs> but, uh, but always a great witness. And look, there's something about witnessing together that's important. It really is. It enc- it's encouraging to me to be, to be around Al and Paul and others who are sharing their story in their life, because now the disciples, now we are the disciples. We witness of Jesus. We look and we read and we see, and we witness for Jesus. And that's exciting to see what God does through us, in spite of all of our messes and our mistakes. He still uses us. And then exciting after two thousand years to know that we are still doing what these brothers were called to do. We are the witnesses. We are the hands and feet and mouth. Of our Lord. In fact, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He is committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. You're the one. The story of what He has done in your life. It's His story as it relates in your life, therefore, other people can see and know. It's a powerful, powerful witness. And our witness must be motivated by glory. Glory to God, not by guilt or glory to us. It's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Our witness is out loud and on purpose and not given to fear. Let me tell you, these guys in the first century, they knew instantly how difficult this job was going to be. And remember, they started out as timid and and guys that ran away from a fight. But after they saw a resurrected Lord and after the Holy Spirit had come upon them to empower them, they knew they could do anything. And so now, all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 4, they're being told, you can't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And they said, huh, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. There's no way we can shut up. Those leaders said, we can't figure out how to punish them. They found out in Acts chapter 5, they started beating the fire out of them. They thought, that'll shut them up. No. You know what they said? We are now counted worthy for the disgrace of the name. Because Jesus died for us. What are you going to do with people like that? You can't beat them. You can't kill them. You can't slow it down. You can't stop the momentum. That's the power of the gospel through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And now we are witnesses of that. So you know what? We can't be stopped either. Well, wait a minute. In our culture and your religious freedom and liberty and nobody's going to... Nothing has stopped this since the beginning of Jesus coming here. It's not going to stop now. We are not the defeated. We are not the victims. We are the victors. So Christ has called us to something greater. They were going from temple courts to house to house and never stopped preaching. And so we go from our church building to our house church to the ballpark to the dance studio to the break room to the boardroom to the machine shop. Everywhere we go willing to share the good news of Jesus. 
And we rejoice if tough times come. We rejoice when good times come. It doesn't matter. Our message stays the same. Our culture is not going to make it easy for us to testify about the truth of the gospel and the life that God's called us to live. Look, the job of our government is not to establish religion or extinguish religion, but to foster the freedom of religion. And we get to exercise that freedom, and it's time we step up the exercise in our culture about Christianity. We've had it pretty easy for a couple hundred years now, but there's always been persecution. There's always been tough times on God's people. And it may be coming to our front door, but you know what? Regardless if it is or not, our message stays the same. It's the story of hope for people who are hurting. And look, in our boldness, we must always be people who communicate that we love other folks. We want to share the greatest news in the world, the gospel, in the spirit of the greatest command. Love God and love other people. So even in our boldness, we cannot afford to communicate that we're rude or bitter or angry. We can't be that way. We have to be people who love other folks. The real enemy is Satan out there. And we want to rescue people out of the world and bring them into the kingdom of light. A lot of people will say things about social justice today in our culture. You know what the greatest social injustice is? To deny people access to the gospel story. That's the greatest injustice we can do for people. To not allow that story to be told. Because it's not about how well our economy does, how we fare in the politics of the world. What matters is, do we get off the planet alive? That's what matters. And that happens for anybody that embraces Christ in any culture, in any country, in any place in the world. We are brothers and sisters bonded by the power of the gospel of Christ. Last week, or two weeks ago, we were in Washington, D.C. Dad was speaking in front of the Capitol, the thousands of people. Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, Glenn Beck, Sarah Palin, Phil Robertson. (laughs) Fit right in. (laughs) How did that just happen? Because of the power of God. Because he decided he needed a spokesman there to remind people about what was most important. Whether it was Iran nuclear deals or how much we support Israel. What ultimately Dad said on the steps of the Capitol was, what matters is the embracing of the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we need? Mm -hmm. The next day, we're in Angola prison. Now Dad said maybe we're in a better place there in some ways than being in D.C. I don't know. I don't know. I say that some, we were with some who had been convicted, just some waiting to be convicted in the other place. That's just what will happen. But you know what he said to Angola State Prison? The same thing. The only way you guys are going to get out of here alive, literally for most of them, by the way, is to embrace the gospel and good news story of Jesus. It's the same message for all. You see, our witness is personal, but it's not private. Well, that's your personal story. It is my personal story, but it's not private because what God did in me, people need to know about. 
You know why? Because in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says God doesn't want any person to perish, but every person to come to repentance and live. Therefore, my personal story needs to be heard by every other person. That's our gift to humanity. It's public, but it's not peaceful. It brings persecution, but persecution never robs it of its power. When you look at the New Testament church and the persecution that hit them, and then you watch the spread of the gospel around the world, that's still taking place today. And so while we may not feel it in our personal life and in the years that we live on, always somewhere God's people are being persecuted. And that's one of the reasons we always need to remember the persecuted in our prayers. I'm reminded of uh, what John wrote in the, bo- in the book of Revelation where he talks about overcoming Satan. That they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And we can't either. We're in it for the long haul. So you see, regardless of what happens in our culture, our message always stays the same. It's the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And look, the power is in Jesus Christ. It's in that story. It's in that message. Someone said, mine. what do you share with an atheist? The gospel? Yeah, but he doesn't believe in the Bible. I don't care. I'm sharing the good news of Jesus. Why? It has the power to change his heart. And we are in the business of changing people's hearts by letting them hear what God has done for them through this one called Jesus. So you see, you speak life into people when you share the story of the gospel. When you share what God's done for you, you speak life and you give them hope for the future. Remember, we have a great responsibility. Paul told Timothy that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. I had a brother argue with me one time in class because I was making that point. He said, well, that's not true because, you know, I'm a believer and I've never been persecuted. I said, well, maybe it is true. You just need to rethink that. There's a thing called a mirror at your house. Maybe you need to look into it. I mean, if our lives aren't being challenged... If there's not any stir in anything we do, if there's no impact, what does that say? Maybe it tells something about what we're doing or not doing as witnesses. The gospel message offends. That's what it does. It offended me. You know what? I didn't want to hear anything about it. I lit out of here and went all the way to New Orleans to run from it. It was offensive to my life, which was offensive to my family and to God. And yet... At some point, I found no peace. So I decided, you know what? Maybe there's something to that gospel message. I came home, was embraced, and became a son of God. And I want to be a witness from that point to the day they put me in the ground. That's what the power of the witness is. But remember this. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, those who persecute you, you bless them. You don't curse them. Man, we get it. We turn into chicken little. I tell you, the sky is falling. This apocalypse, what's going to happen to us? <laughs> We're the victors. Manny Canales says it best. We win. We win. We win. And he's right.
That's the power of what God has called us to. That's the power that's calling out to you today. You can't witness to what you don't know, what you haven't seen and what you haven't heard. If you haven't embraced the gospel of Christ and become a son or daughter of the Almighty through believing, witnessing that change, and being willing to share that with other people and be baptized into Christ, today is your day. It's not a lucky day. It's an appointed day. Today is the day when you need to make that right. Don't leave here without having a witness when you leave. Someone needs your witness. The story of what Christ has done in you so that they too can know about the good news. Or sometimes we just lose our way. Maybe we are witnessing in a false way for the bad side. That happens. I've been there too. You're doing damage to the gospel. Don't do that. Stop doing that. You can change that. You can say, Christ, forgive me. I need to be something different and better and a witness for you, not a witness for evil. If that's where you are today, we give you that opportunity to come. We've got a family here that loves you, family around the world that loves you. If you have a need, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?